The Keeping It 1000 podcast is a limited run series produced by DNVR and presented with minimal commercial interruption by DraftKings Sportsbook. There's no better place to get in on all of the live sports betting action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered for all of your sports betting needs, NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, even professional golf, tennis, and MMA, future bets, prop bets, live in-game betting, whatever you are looking for, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. They are always updating the app with new odds boosts that make betting on games even more fun. You can do parlays, you can do teasers, you can do future bets. You can even bet on weirdly specific details like who will score the first field goal in a Nuggets game. Must be 21 years or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, good people of Denver, Colorado, and people all over the globe. Welcome into the Keeping It 1000 special presentation podcast with Adam Mades and George Carl. I am Adam Mades of DNBR, and I'm really excited to launch this brand new podcast with one of the all-time great coaches in NBA history, one of nine coaches to win 1,000 games, the second most winningest coach in Denver Nuggets history behind the great Doug Moe, and somebody that always brings honest opinions and great perspective and insight when he talks about basketball on the Truth and Basketball podcast. It's George Carl. George, thank you so much for, for joining me for this. I'm excited to talk Nuggets with you. I think extra excited given the circumstances. Four months without basketball. I think it, it's given me personally a new appreciation for the sport, just going that long without sports. How, how do you feel watching these games, just, just from a having basketball back perspective? Uh, you know, I, I have good and bad feelings about it, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the bubble, the, the coronavirus, uh, the pandemic, the racism, uh, you know, our country's been shaken a little bit. It's been, at yeah. least I've been shaken by it. And I'm trying to be kind of a good teammate to everything, to, to the anti-racism, to the, uh, you know, the pandemic of, of wearing a mask and being cautious. And I'm not one of these rebels that doesn't think this virus doesn't exist. I think it does exist. Sure. I've, yeah. It's, you know, it's touched friends of mine have had people die. Mm. And, and of course I'm, I'm vulnerable. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I, I check off all the bad, bad blocks, bad, bad boxes. Um, yeah. But I'm glad it's back. It's it's fun to watch these tw <laughs> these 22 teams. Yeah. Uh, I but I I don't think I'm addicted to it. Sure. Like I, sure. If it, if it was March right now, I think I'm watching every night and I'm 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 searching down games and I I don't think I've I, I've actually ever even searched down a game yet. I yeah. think there might be a couple of those games this week. Yeah. That uh, that are going to have major f figurations in what in who and who's going to play and all that stuff the the having no fans and and having no home court yeah it's a little weird isn't it it's like i'm not I, this is not the right word and I, and I don't i don't want anybody to blow up on this word but it seems a little false at times okay it seems it seems a little fakey yeah uh you know kind of but in the same sense you know the game, denver game last night was Kind of slow and sl sloppy in the first half. Yeah, Utah kind of faded, and then we had you know great play 
yeah. in the overtimes and late last game, lack, late game situations. That was first class stuff last night. Yeah. It was it was exciting. And to your earlier point there about just the pandemic and, and where everybody's focus and attention is, and not just the pandemic, but the social unrest. You know, I've talked about this a lot on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, but sports for me personally have been such a positive thing in my life, both for me personally, but also for a way for me to connect with so many different people and life lessons and all these different things. And my hope and one of the things I think I thought about a lot over the last four months was what role sports play in a society and, and how can I in this position of leadership and with a, a microphone that people I'm lucky enough for people to tune into, how can I even more emphasize this game and use it to some good and, and, and sort of share what has been so good about sports in my life with other people in the city. And I think, you know, I, I, and my hope is that people are sort of looking at the sport of basketball, the league, the NBA, and, and all of these things through sort of a different lens as we come back. And I think there has been a lot of that, to be honest with you. Um, I think a lot of athletes are feeling more empowered to use their voices um, and feeling more encouraged, I, I would even say, to use their voices in this way. And, and I hope those things continue. And I hope that the fans watching connect the fabric of sports and society and, 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 and take some good from it. Um, at least that's my hope. Well, you know, I, I'm, I think you know, the whole thing about this whole thing is, you know, my, my, my motto has been learn, listen, love, yeah. and, be, and, and come to a positive state and stay away from the negative state. And the one thing I would like to see maybe the media take a, a bigger role is uh, do deeper conversations, mm. more more real conversations on racism and anti-racism yeah. and the movement of uh, the scientific evidence of the pandemic and where is this right. going to be? How right. is it going to... Uh, you know, I think the whole the media thing right now with Trump being a fake news guy, that he throws out there fake news all the time, but he, he complains about newscasting. And I know for me, I, I would rather see more positive real yeah. uh media coverage rather yeah. than opinion and argument and and uh you know it seems like uh you know like on you know like we got first take we gotta we gotta have an argument about everything right yeah there's two sides and you gotta you take this side i'll take this side and let's yell at each other for 20 yeah. minutes I, I, I like to shut that down for a while <laughs> i would too you know and i you know i was actually i was talking to some coaches today you know, we were talking about the, how the three-point shot has gotten to be, don't we have to talk about the game has gotten to be maybe two, three-point oriented? It's really evolved. And, you know, what would be, and then we came, we got in a really good discussion on what would be the change. How would yeah. you change today's game if you think the way the game is being played is too shot oriented and not maybe, you know, like the old day oriented, old school oriented. Well, that's uh, a that's a real bag, uh, you know, can of worms. But I'll ask you it because it the reason teams have gone this direction, in my opinion, is because it makes sense in terms of this, you know, efficiency. It makes sense to if you have guys that can shoot the volume and efficiency that they do, then why not do it? So, are there things? First of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, are there things you would do to sort of make it less efficient? influence the game to move back inside the three-point arc i think that's the only way you're going to change it because you're right 
Yeah. I mean, what I see now, the involvement of, you know, my last year in coaching four or five, six years ago, you know, I didn't let, I didn't let anybody shoot a step back three. Right. Right. Now step back threes. There's a lot of guys shooting step back threes. You know, my rule was if you pump faked and the guy went by you, you had to go to the rim. Mm. But now we just slide a slide slide step step. and shoot. Yeah. And, you know, today, you know, I was watching the game today. We're coming down on a three on one fast break and they, they, they play for the three point shot. Right. And I think you still, I don't know. The integrity of the game says go to the rim mm. and, and, and get, get the easy basket or find the wide open three by, by making the defense, you know, scramble and cover you up. Right. Um, but then I think, I think the game is, I'm amazed at some of the young players that their skill set. Yeah. Uh, I mean, guys at age 22 and 23 are doing things that usually took four or five years to, to master or to, to master the point where a coach would allow them to do it. Yeah. Uh, but now there's a lot of stuff going on with the game that uh, everybody's kind of playing, trying to learn how to play fast, the pace game the three point shooting game, the layup game versus the three ball. Uh, some guys do it better than others. Uh, other teams I think are, you know, I think the Lakers are kind of playing more old school mm. uh, than most teams. Uh, but then you look at a team like Phoenix and they're playing really well. Yeah. Uh, kind of with a mastery of the pass. I think they're one of the best passing teams right now in the NBA. And I think that's kind of the key to my mind to the playoffs is the offensive efficiency by the pass. I know we always talk about matchups and superstar versus superstar and all that. But I like, I like teams that play well together and have a connection because they trust each other and they believe in each other. And I think, to be honest with you right now, over the last four or five games of this, whatever you want to call it, bubble, um, you know, there, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody really be dominant other than Phoenix. Phoenix seems like they yeah. have a, an energy to them every night. Toronto's played well, but they've played poorly. LA's played poorly. Yeah. But I don't think anybody's give, saying they're not they're not going to be there. I I love watching Toronto play, and I have a question though about what you're saying here because how much of this, in your opinion, is preference? Because I'm with you. The 2014 Spurs, one of my all-time favorite teams. I mean, that's beautiful ball movement basketball. Read and react, just, just high high IQ players doing great things. But I think somebody would make the counterpoint that says whatever wins is the right way, meaning. If you can win playing an ugly style or ugly brand of basketball, well, that isn't the point of the game to win. I have no problem with that, but I think the foundation of how you win a championship, there's got to be some fundamental foundations of your defense, of rebounding, of a philosophy of turnovers, yeah. uh, how, how you create your offense. Uh, and I think when you take four months off, I mean, I, I wasn't, I haven't been surprised that the games have been very inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't had enough time to really come together. Well, that, that brings me to my first question here about this. So 
first of all, can you think in your coaching experience, you all, there's a rhythm to how seasons go. You have training camp and you got X amount of time before the first game and you do these things Then you got the season, the all-star break. You know, this is such a unique circumstance, especially if you look at the Denver Nuggets, where not only did they have a short training camp to begin with, but players arrived so late. So did you ever, is there anything you can compare this in your experience to um, with this short notice in these weird circumstances? You know, the one that comes to my mind is, is a bad experience <laughs> is when I coached the USA basketball team. Oh man. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. And you know, we got, we came together. I think we had, I don't know, two weeks, 10 yeah. practices, <laughs> two exhibition games. Yeah. Reggie Miller sprains his ankle. Uh, our team didn't have a, they didn't have an understanding of how difficult the challenge was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so they had it, you know, you're trying to explain to them that Yugoslavia and Argentina are really good. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, our scouts were telling me they both beat you and, you know, they didn't want to hear that. Right. And so you had this, mental chaos or arrogance with a difficult challenge, but the challenge isn't being respected. So I, I think right now that's the, it's, it's a little different now. Uh, you're, you're, you got a eight game bubble, bubble series to figure out the matchups in the playoffs. And then you're trying to figure out how your team is going to play. And there's not enough games. Right. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I felt in my last year exhibition season, the first 10 games of the regular season, you were still playing around with what you <laughs> wanted to do. And, and I think what we got now is I think you're going to see teams get better, but there could be some bad basketball early in the playoffs, which no could doubt. create some upsets. Yeah but someone also is going to find themselves. They're going to find a rhythm in the playoffs and they're going to win a big game and they might, you know, they might steal a series. And they're, I think it's open for maybe a team that isn't a team right now that is, is considered a contender could find their feet. Denver could be one of those teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like Miami, how they're playing. I don't, I don't want to say this, but Houston, the experience experiment in Houston, I don't like, Yeah. but it might work in this yeah. scenario that we have. Yeah. I mean, it might work. I don't think it will. I'm not betting on it. Well, they're a high variance team and, and this bubble is a high variance bubble. I mean, there's a lot of, it's going to be some randomness to this bubble because everything's so unfamiliar. No question. I mean, no question. And, and I just don't – the next next three or four games, I mean, everybody's going to probably keep a focusing on eight and nine in the West. Is that yeah. going to be Phoenix, Portland, Memphis? Yeah. You know, one, it seems like one of those teams, maybe San Antonio. Right, San Antonio won again today, yep. Um, but my focus is matchups because yeah. I think – I think three, four, five, and six in the Western Conference. You know, I, 
going into yesterday's game, I thought Denver's matchup against Utah was the one they wanted. Yeah. I thought, in my mind, I thought that was the team I think they're stronger than. And there's very little at any position do I think they have a disadvantage, uh, except I think. Uh, the Clarkson kid off the bench, I think, is playing really well. He really is. He's not one of my favorite players, but he's really had a, a, a great run here. And they seem like they got him in that <clears throat> rhythm of when he comes in the game, he's allowed to take almost any shot, yeah. and they're happy with it. Well, they need it, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I think all the coaches are searching for lineups. They're yeah. searching for, you know, minutes. I mean, the Michael Porter Jr. thing, I think we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but, you know, he's played great. Yeah. And he's played better than I thought he was. Yeah. Uh, but does that, does he, has he played well enough to change the rotation that was doing pretty good? So, well, I do want to put a pit in that because we are going to come back to it here in a second. But just from a broad perspective, if you're coaching, if you're, if you're, you know, and we can use the Denver Nuggets as just sort of a broad example, but you don't have all your players, you've got injuries, you've only got a couple. I mean, Denver had I don't know how many practices before their first real game. It wasn't many. What is your focus as a coach in those moments? I mean, are you trying to? How are you coaching an offense? Are you? Is it? We're going over plays and we're going over defensive schemes, or is your focus more abstract, you know, a mentality and, and those types of things, given that there's not a lot of time to perfect anything? Well, I think the, for me, uh, and, I, and I, I think Coach Malone does a good job of this, is don't make it too complicated. Try yeah. to make it simple. Build upon what you do well. And also be aware of what you do poorly. But not having, you know, Barton and not having Harris and not having Murray, I think that's – I'm not sure I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how these injuries occurred or how severe they are. I haven't heard anything about Harris and Barton playing. Yeah. Uh, I thought Murray looked tired but played great. Yeah. Uh, played a lot of minutes and, for a first game back. And, you know, my, my feeling, again, is – Who's going to find the defense? I mean, right now, <laughs> yeah, the game has gotten to be so offensive oriented. Yeah, and you know, there's going to be a team that's going to learn how to win with some defense. Right now, the games are very offensive oriented. Um, there have been very few games where defense has had an impact on the game. Yeah, this is that coaching philosophy thing, but it comes a lot uh, up a lot with the the Nuggets. It, it seems like when they are they have a rhythm on the offensive end, their defense elevates. Um, not always. Sometimes you take the foot off the gas, but you know, do you, do you sort of see the relationship between those two things? Do players just get an extra motivation when? And it's not just guys are making shots, but when the offense seems healthy, it's moving and everything else is. Is there a real buy-in on the defensive end following that typically? Well, I think what you're trying to talk about is flow. Sure. Uh, the game of basketball has a rhythm to it. And when you're in rhythm, you feel it. Yeah. You feel stronger. You feel more connected. You feel freer. You feel more creative. And when mm. offense is hard, you, get, you feel miserable. Yeah. You lose your confidence. You take bad shots. You make bad decisions. And that's why... Uh, the freedom of movement has given the game more flow. 
Yeah. We, we are allowing the guards so much freedom without contact. And I, I say all the time to my NBA friends, does anybody cover the basketball well? Right. Yeah. I mean, there are certain guys that are really good one-on-one -on -one defenders. Yeah. You know, but the ball, when it's coming at you in transition or in rhythm, it's hard to stop it from getting into the gaps. Right. And I think there's so much confidence now in attacking defenses. And, you know, I, I've told my son this numerous times. You got to look at playing some zone. Mm. Mike, Mike Malone played some zone. Yeah. Early in this, in this, in the bubble. Yeah. And I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. But I think, I don't think you can play it as your major defense, but I know Miami and some other teams are looking at yeah. some things like full court stuff. Toronto won a championship last year in part by surprising some teams with the zone in, in spots like you're talking about. Yeah. And they, they threw some boxing one and diamond yeah, triangle yeah. two into it. Yeah. I think those things have a place in this, in this series, in this playoffs. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that, 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 that is an advantage to an experienced team. Right. Or a young energetic team. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think Toronto has had a great year has not given, been given a lot of love and, and they do have a chance to be they a good defensive it, yeah. team. Yeah. One thing I talk about a lot on the DNVR Nuggets podcast is, you know, the Nuggets are starting to assemble a lot of very long players. You know, Michael Porter Jr., Bol Bol, Jeremy Grant, uh, even Torrey Craig and Will Barton for the guard spot, very long. Uh, specifically talking about a zone, one of the things about a zone is covering a lot of space. I mean, is there something to um, a, a defense being effective, maybe not necessarily with elite defenders, but with a lot of length in a sort of uh, cohesive zone? Well, the one thing, thing I really believe in length is um, it helps you cover the three-point shot. Yeah. It gives you an advantage to challenge a shot more efficient and more effectively. Uh, and they definitely are going to be long. I mean, the Lakers had a lot of success this year because of their length. Yeah, they're huge. And they're long and, and they're a good rebounding team, which has not been one of uh, a fundamental that's been really emphasized in the NBA lately. But I, I also believe that the rebound becomes a bigger factor in playoff basketball than regular season basketball. Mm. So I think that that might help some teams. Uh, but I don't know. I, I mean, I like length. I like athletes. Um, and uh, but I think the one thing if I right now I'm, I'm leery on, on on Denver's defense is uh, there's a little bit of lack of transition defense. The second half was a lot better last last night. Yeah, but it seems like they're a little loose in transition, and they're they're giving up a lot of threes. They're yeah, giving up a lot. a lot of threes. Where is the breakdown in transition from what you're seeing? Where does it start? A lot of bad transition creates is is started with bad shot selection. Ooh, or okay. un or unexpected shot selection. I, I love that for unexpected shot selection. I like that. And again, I. The one thing I think Denver has, and I'm not, I think they're, they're a very talented team, but I think at times they have a lot of guys that are thirsty mm. to score points. And I would rather see more playmakers on the field, mm. more decision makers, 
I mean, Jokic, I don't think he feels this way, but there are times I feel that Jokic has too much he has too many too much responsibility to be the point guard on the team. Mm. And instead of a point guard and a big guy that knows how to pass and other guys that are totally and completely committed to the pass, at times the, their lack of flow and their lack of good shot selection, I think creates bad, bad, bad defensive balance. And, you know, I've always said a bad, bad offense creates bad defense. Yeah. And this is exactly what we're talking about with that flow. And I love that you said sort of expected, uh, you know, expected shots, because I have this theory about the openness of a shot is probably the biggest control of whether a shot's going to go in or not. If you give open shots for good shooters, that's, you know, largely they're going to go in. But I think almost equally as important is the expe- expectation, a shot that's in rhythm, meaning it came from an offense that you saw coming and everybody sort of hand, had their hand in. Those are the shots that I think you, that really help create that flow. And so there's a difference. So uh, t- to me, I think that's a huge part of sort of the synergy between good defense and good offense. Well, the synergy about good offense, the San Antonio Spurs won championships because of their offense, because mm. of their great shot selection. They didn't beat themselves. They never, they never took bad decision-making yeah. or bad shot selection or bad attitude. That never was a part of their game. They played fundamental. They, they elevated their game by finding the hot player. But they didn't beat themselves. And their offense, when it was going, when it was yeah. cooking, I mean, there was never a bad shot. Yeah. Every shot was – it was a positive shot almost every time. Yeah. And you got a game today that's allowing that shots five, seven, ten years ago we thought were crazy shots now are okay. Yeah. Well, they're okay analytically, but sometimes they're not okay with the chemistry of the team, the yeah. connection of the team. If a team has a thirsty player, a yeah. guy that's looking down, is hunting down shots, he can, even if he makes those shots, sometimes it's a negative. And I, you know, I, I say that a little bit, you know, with Carmelo. When Carmelo was having a big sure. night, and was going on one of those 40 to 50 point nights, it was not an easy game to coach. <laughs> it was a little harder than you thought it was. Yeah. You know, riding a guy that's hot and can score on any defense or any play, but the other guys are going, what, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, and, and basketball is a long game. And 48 minutes, the momentum, and if you if you lose players because they're – angry about we're all we're only going to one action i think you gotta you know you gotta have that connection and trust to make a game on offense have a flow and a unity to to each other you know who i think did a great job of this was the the early golden state warriors the early curry and clay teams i mean they would have you know steph or clay would get really hot and they wouldn't just dribble up and hand them the ball and say well let's just see how you go they would keep running their offense knowing let's put pressure on the rim but we got this guy and if we have a chance to get it to him it it felt like they didn't break their offense to keep those guys going when they had it going well going to say early in their their reign of 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 championships they were people don't understand they were a great passing basketball team yeah i mean they averaged close to 30 assists a game yeah and that's a big number in the nba yeah big number 
No. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often. Denver, I, mean, I think, I, has three games in the bubble right now with 30 assists. They've, they've had a couple. They've really, really run hot there. Uh, I mean, I think Denver, when they get in flow, they play, on, they play very unselfish. Yeah. But they also have moments where they yeah. look like they're tied up. Absolutely, yep. And uh, how they figure that rhythm out. Yeah. You know, maybe having Murray back is going to help. Maybe having Harris back is going to help. Uh, but I would like to see, you know, I, I think everybody knows that I've advocated more of a true point guard basketball yeah. player. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Morris has played pretty well in the bubble. Uh, the Dozier, Dozier kid. Yeah. I mean, they're saying he's a point guard. I like big point guards. Yeah. Uh, but I like, I want my team to make good decisions. Yeah. And, and understand, when your team is operating well, the players know when the shot is a bad shot. Yep, yep. And they, they put pressure on each other yeah. not to be that guy. And so many times I look on, on the, with Denver, you know, they'll, I mean, Torrey Craig in the last couple of games has thrown up some threes. I'm going, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a... That's a Steph Curry three. That's not a Tory <laughs> Craig three. The hits literally keep on coming from one MMA event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation, and UFC 252 is no different. With two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the octagon this weekend, there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fights, DraftKings is offering all new users the opportunity to bet $1 to win $252. Those are some great odds. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including fighter props, round-by-round round betting, and so much more. Plus, with basketball's playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering $10 in free bets to use on in-game action for every day of the first round of the playoffs. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. You're talking about this. This is a natural rhythm to that. You're, I think you're sort of the peer pressure of this. There's there's a natural peer pressure to it. But what about a more overt sort of fostering leadership amongst young players? Because right now, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, I think, are the team's two best offensive players and, and the two guys you would look to to be the you know floor generals. But they're young. I think they're learning those lessons. As a coach, how do you foster that? Because I don't know that you can teach it. I don't know that you can tell a guy, here's how you be a leader. But how do you foster that to get them to learn those lessons? Well, I think the only way they learn it is what's going to happen in the playoffs. Mm. I think that they, the feeling of, you know, they, they had a great run last year. I think they grew up a lot. But what they've got to learn is what happened last year is going to help them. But it's going to be harder this year. Right. Yep. Their matchups last year were very advantageous. Yeah, no question. They might not have those advantageous matchups this year. Yeah. And I think the big thing is leadership comes in the big moments. Mm. I mean, the guys that show up in the big moments, and the two guys you mentioned, Jokic and Murray, are those two guys. I mean, you watched last night. 
they were dynamic and then the games yep. and then in the, the overtimes. Yeah. But I would like to see Jokic to be more demanding early in a game, you know, and, and, and be more responsible to some of the things we're talking about by his presence, demanding maybe more responsibility when, when the flow of the game isn't going the right way. Uh, but I can't complain about him. He's a hell of a player. And I'm going to be, it's going to be real interesting to see, see him and Murray and also yeah. throw some other guys in. Sure. The only other thing I would add to that is I think Millsap's influence on this team is not by his basketball talent, but his basketball mentality. Ooh. And so, so could you bring a veteran player into the, into the mesh like Millsap that, is, that could help a Murray or could help a Jokic kind of expedite his growing up a little bit. It's interesting because a few years back, I think this must have been three years ago or maybe even four years ago, when the Golden State Warriors were in town and I asked Kevin Durant about Jokic and just what he thought about him. And Kevin Durant kind of smiled and he said he's incredibly talented, but maybe I'm paraphrasing here. He said he's incredibly talented, but what we don't know is if he has the drive and work ethic and all those other things that actually separate the talented players from the superstars the guys that realize you have a responsibility every moment of every day not just you played well down the stretch or you did this thing well but you it's all the other things that get elevate the rest of the team even behind the scenes and I it stuck with me so much because as I look at the league and I see the there's Carl Anthony Townses of the world there's the the Devin Bookers there's so many talented guys that you look at and you say wow that guy is incredibly talented why hasn't it come together and I'm not trying to say these guys – I mean, I'm just using them as examples. There's a lot of different factors in those examples. But I do think there's a lot of players that the talent never manifests itself in the way Kevin Durant was referencing back three, four years ago about Jokic. But I think with Jokic, it actually has. I think the growth Jokic has had over five years from sort of this lovable, extremely talented, carefree guy to somebody that now – I think takes his responsibility more seriously. Not, I don't think he's all the way there yet in terms of leadership. I think he has a lot more to go. But I've certainly seen that growth of him over the last several years. Um, I mean, do you, do you agree with this on when I'm talking specifically about Jokic and maybe with Jamal Murray too, a growth in that regard and, and their responsibility to their teams? Uh, no question. I mean, I remember my second year in Seattle with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Uh, we played similar like last year. We played Utah a game five elimination champ, you know, best of five series in the first round. We played Houston a best of seven in the second round. And we played Phoenix a best of seven in the conference finals. And that experience in what just one year yep. <laughs> took Gary Payton from a good player to Gary Payton, a man. Yeah. And he was he was ready. And so again, the playoffs have a way of of, of uh, finding the weak and kicking them out <laughs> and also so true developing the strong yeah and and making them feel confident as i said last year was a very good step for the for the nuggets but this year is going to be more difficult yeah and what happened last year is valuable but not to the opponent they don't right you know their opponent has no nothing they, they have no fear right now of what happened last year. I love that. I think it's like a, paraphrasing a Michael Jordan quote here, but there's something of the, you know, for some people there's failures, for other people there's lessons. And I, I think it's so true. Some people fail and that's all it was, was a failure. And some people 
okay, what happened? What went wrong? Come back a little bit stronger. And I agree with you that I think last year was a very good thing for Denver. And I agree with you that this next year is going to present a whole new set of challenges and they're going to have to learn a whole new set of lessons to get there. Let's talk about Michael Porter Jr. though now, because he has been, in my opinion, maybe you disagree with this, but I think Michael Porter Jr. has demonstrated throughout the season, but especially in this bubble, that he's a special talent. Um, and again, going back to the Jokic thing, at the moment, I think he's just that. He's got all the other lessons to learn, but he's a talented kid. First of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, how do you bring along a talented young player on a roster full of veteran players who maybe make fewer mistakes, have more experience, but maybe who don't have as much of an upside when we're talking about, you know, the, the ceiling of a team? Whoo! This is a <laughs> tough one. Yeah. Um... Many a coaches have, have, have fallen, uh, you know, victim to this very circumstance. I mean, right now you have a fan base and uh, I don't know, everybody wants Michael Porter to be, you know, to get all the minutes. Yeah. That's a tough call right now for me as a coach. I think he deserves to play, but I think how, how you can keep him confident and not become a player that say, you know, you win round one, but he doesn't play well. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, early in round two, he plays awful, and Malone's choice is to bench him. Right. And then you hurt his confidence. Yeah. So right now, I think you you got a lot of juggling going on. You know, whose minutes does he take? And the one thing that I, I have felt in Michael Porter's – a negative to Michael Porter's success is does Denver need more offense? Mm. I'm not sure they need more offense. I think they need more intangibles. I think they need more mental toughness. I think they need more playmaking. Mm. I, think that, I think there's other things that maybe a Grant or a Millsap or a Plumley know how they do better than Michael Porter. Mm. And so I think, I think Malone is going to be in a position where finding him minutes is going to be important, but also building his confidence and not letting it blow up on him. And then in the same sense, players are going to have to respect when, they, when it comes down to the end of games, someone's going to be sitting down that maybe doesn't like to sit down. Right. And they're, and they're going to have to let that go. You know, I, I've said many a times that basketball is a lot of ego management and attitude adjustment. Yeah. And I think Porter has done a fantastic job. I think he's earned the right to be on the court. But I still think Malone has got to make – what feels good about it, he knows this team better than anybody else. Right. And he knows how playing Porter as a starter or off the bench or vice versa with Barton or wherever it lands, he's got a deep team that uh, he has a lot of weapons that can help him win. And I think he's like a lot of, a lot of other NBA teams out there right now. How, how are we going to rotate this to be right. successful? How, how much of the success of that specific issue, whether it's Michael Porter Jr. or the players he might be replacing in the lineup, how much of the success of whatever Malone is about to do going forward is already been laid? The foundation's already been laid, meaning if you have a great relationship with your players, they get benched, maybe you can, you can sort of, you can manage that storm a lot better. Do you think that that it's already been determined how the outcome of whatever decision is made. Do you think that foundation's already been laid? That's a tough question. I think the only guys who really know that are the, the 20 guys in that locker room. 
Oh yeah, I'm talking much more abstract. I mean, we're using the Nuggets as an example, but with just the you know the circumstance in the abstract. Well, fortunately, when you pull trip, when you pull, you know, when you, as a coach, when you're maneuvering your team, if you win, it works a lot better than when you lose. <laughs> that's a great point. And that's why I think the bubble is a little more interesting. Is because the home court. If I was coaching Porter and we had home court and road. I'd be playing him at home court to build his confidence. Yeah. Well, you don't have that advantage right now. Right now, you're in a bubble. There's no right. home court. Yeah. But in the same sense, I think when a player plays poorly and you go on the road, you're afraid to play him. Mm. Well, you don't have that either. So you have, you have a double-edged sword. You have a, a possibility of the, you know, you don't have the home court to juice up a young player to playing well. But then you also have the ability, if he's not playing well, to keep playing them, and maybe he'll find his confidence and find his strut and his flow. Do you like his upside? I mean, just kind of analyzing his game so far. Uh, the one thing that, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably more cautious about his upside. One, I don't know what position he plays best. Mm. Now, I haven't seen him as much as their coaching staff has seen him. Right. Is he a big four? Is he a three? Yeah. Is he a two? Yeah. I don't think he's the one. But, you know, where does he fit in the rotation? So that bothers me a little bit. Uh, but I think his upside is he's, he has an all-star skill. And the one thing I love about him is he's, he's a good cutter. He has a feel for off-the-ball basketball. Yeah. And he definitely knows how to use his size as an advantage. Yeah. Good rebounder, good offensive rebounder, very good hands. He and he and Jokic play above the defense a lot together. Yes. Yep. Uh, they they got some clever to them, some cute, some cute stuff to them. <laughs> and I think a lot of that's Jokic. Yeah. But I think he also got, I think he also got to give Porter some some credit too. Absolutely. I love his off-ball game. And you're right about the size thing. I mean, he gets a lot of mismatches, especially playing – I mean, Nuggets have put out lineups that have him, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, and Jokic on the court together. And you're just talking about somebody's going to have a size advantage. I mean, there's no team plays that tall. So um, it, it's been enjoyable to see. We have some clips now um, that I want to kind of go over because I love learning the X's and O's of basketball. And, and – um, I think a lot of fans have really enjoyed, you know, trying to trying to learn some of the subtle nuances of the game. And so I we've picked out a couple clips. You've taken a look at these. The first one here is about spacing the court, reading the court, and playing the dunker. And I always thought, Coach, that your teams here in Denver, the power forwards, and really even the guards, did such a good job of playing the dunker spot. Of course, there's the famous yeah. – they made a rule for you. It was to allow players to stand out of bounds to to space the court and the dunker. Um, but I always thought that that you your teams did a great job of that. Was how to play the dunker? Do coaches go over the the, the subtle details of that, or is that something a player brings to the table on their own? Well, <clears throat> sometimes big guys don't want to be called the dunker. Yeah, but it's actually you know it's. I think it's a great offensive position because basically you're just reading the yeah. angle of penetration. Yeah. If the ball is penetrated middle, you circle under the basket. If the ball is penetrated baseline, you circle to the tip of the rim of the basket. Right. And 
and big guys are doing well. I thought Gobert did it really well against us yesterday. Yeah. In the in the Denver game. He was really reading the penetration well. But the dunker spacing now has become more important than execution. Yeah. It's hard. Like that. That's hard for me to say, but I definitely right. think, you know, the game has gone to five out more than I've ever thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still believe more in four out than five out, but that's just me. I do too, actually. Uh, I think a big guy underneath the basket, getting offensive rebounds and yeah. getting dunks and getting three-point plays. And the spacing outside is better with four out. Uh, but most guys, most of uh, Denver is five out uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have Jokic. You know, he's amazing out there at the elbows, at the top of the key. Right. And then what he does really well is the dribble handoff stuff, the backdoor stuff. I mean, he makes easy – he makes tough basketball plays look easy a lot. Yeah. And, and uh, he's an amazing – he makes people better. Uh, he's, he's fun to watch. Well, let's watch this play real quick. This came against the Portland game, and it's it's pretty a basic play. I think a lot of people will watch this one and think, okay, why is this one special? But I just thought the spacing of it was very interesting. And, again, you've got three tall players out here, four if you count Torrey Craig, but you've got Jokic, Jeremy Grant, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. And just a little give-and-go game here with Jokic and Michael Porter cuts under. And then what I think is interesting about this play is Porter, after the cut, clears out to the to the opposite side here which is where jeremy grant is spacing in the dunker and as Jokic attacks here and he jumps out of bounds and looks to whip a pass tory craig cuts michael porter jr stays in the lane jeremy grant stays in the lane and you get three guys there this turns into a turnover if we rewind it here coach what, what went wrong and sort of what's the right way for jeremy grant michael porter jr and tory craig to read the court as this play unfolds well i think the you know, basically, this is a little bit the triangle. It's, this is the weak side triangle in the in Phil Jackson's uh, triangle situation. But Porter, instead of coming back out on the strong side, he goes away. That puts way too much clutter mm. underneath the basket. And what you need now is the guys on the weak side to rotate to the strong side, but stay space. Uh, right now, Grant and Porter are holding hands. Yeah, they are. And and that doesn't work. And now Craig's going to go in yep, and get into the dance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just bad spacing. And I know the turnover goes to Jokic. But the truth of the matter is the turnover is on these guys messing around, holding hands in the paint. So the way you would like to see this is after Michael Porter cuts through, he feels into this quarter, the strong side corner over here. Or get out. Or, or all the way out know, to the corner. Yeah, yeah he, he's got to make a hard cut and finish out. And then if he finished out, Jokic might have a pass. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, on this penetration, the defense is going to Jokic. If Porter was out in the corner, he might get a, a wide-open look. Yeah, especially with his height. I mean, Jokic, he kind of can always bail Jokic out by just throwing it up high for him to go up and extend over Damian Lillard here. I wondered about Jeremy Grant here, and, and only because, you know, Michael Porter goes to the, you know, replaces Jeremy in the dunker here, then Damian Lillard becomes your rim protector. Zach Collins has to decide whether to help, and Jeremy Grant flares out. But it sounds like that's not a natural read for, for Jeremy here. Well, if I was coaching, I would rather have Grant move out and put stress 
on uh, Zach Collins. Yeah, make him decide. I mean, and make Lillard the help. Yeah. Having a small helper is a good place. So I, I don't know why Grant is even there right now. Mm. I mean, I, I, I mean, as soon as Porter would go one one week side, someone I would kick Grant out. He'd space and that, right here. And, and yep. then I would rotate Craig more to the top of the key. And uh, this, who's this? Uh, Morris? This is Monte Morris, yeah. And I would rotate them more on the perimeter, looking for some space maybe to cut. Mm -hmm. And Craig does cut. Yeah. Yeah, Craig does cut in, but then just makes that for that clung. I was interested in that because I'm always interested in spacing, especially when Jokic is on the court because it just seems like – a majority of I, I know I'm I'm bailing Jokic out here a little bit for decision making, but it just seems like so many of his turnovers are the results of bad spacing and bad reads around the rest of the court. You know, not not just from him trying to force this or getting sloppy with that or or what have you. Um, if we go, I want to go to this next play here, which is one of you know Denver is, runs this play a lot. I mean, every team in the NBA I think runs this play to some extent. I know it as C corner. I mean, I don't know if we have a different name for it that you like to go through. But what I like about this is it utilizes what I consider to be Denver's three biggest weapons on the offensive end of the court. A little uh, uh, Michael Porter in the corner, you get Jokic on the elbow, and then Jamal Murray screening for Michael Porter's guy. They get a switch here, which it's a guard-to-guard -guard switch in this situation, but still gives Porter an even bigger size advantage. Murray curls around the corner here, and you get Jokic all isolated on an island with Gobert there, which is, in my opinion, easy money. Walk me through this play and 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 just what works with it and, and what you like or don't like about it. Well, I think it gets your best players opportunities somewhat. The first action is basically uh, Murray and Porter are working to try to get a layup, yeah. a hard cut, and maybe get lucky. And then they're going to the dribble handoff, and Jokic is rolling to an empty side. Yep. And I, I think it's really hard play. I mean, I actually, Gobert does a good job of actually helping Murray and getting back. Uh, I think if Murray goes one more dribble hard at Gobert, I think he might get a dunk here. But I think Murray, mm. Murray goes to the window. I think if he goes one more, that window will be lower and more yeah. to the basket rather than a 10-foot jump shot. Um, just as far as a staple for the offense here, I mean, Denver has a lot of plays. Every every team in the NBA runs some 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 version of this, in, in my experience. But I just like the. I think a lot of teams are going to have a hard time switching one three here. They, Utah has some players with some length. Donovan Mitchell's kind of stocky and he's got long arms, so it's not that big of a of a sort of switch here. But there's a lot of teams that are going to try their hardest not to switch that action with Michael Porter, who's six foot ten and and hyper athletic, and that's what I like about it. it to me, it immediately puts pressure on the defense to not switch that action. Well, I, you know, what I like about it, to be honest with you, is you got Jokic is a good passer, but you know, Plumlee has gotten to be a good passer up there too. Yeah. And and Millsap is very good in where Porter is. Yeah. Millsap makes a lot of cuts that gets him baskets in the paint. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's basically a, a tough play to cover. But then it goes to your bread and butter, uh, which is the handoff with your two best players. Yeah. And I think we know at the end of a game, that's where the game is going to go. Yeah. And Murray is getting better and better at it. 
Porter gives him another back cutter, smart cut off the ball guy. Uh, and Jokic is a, a tremendous playmaker. When you're building an offensive playbook, either going into the season or throughout the course of a season, do you have plays that you kind of keep in your back pocket? You say, I love this action. This, we're not going to use it too much because this, uh, this, this is our kind of home run action. I know that this is going to get us a good look every single time. And when do, you, when do those plays enter the playbook? Is that in training camp or is that throughout the season you're kind of taking notes and saying, okay, this is one to, to hold on to? Well, I think every game there's uh, – I've always felt you want to keep sometimes your best plays for the fourth quarter. Mm. And, and because if you if you use them early and they're effective, they're making adjustments to it. Uh, well, I like I like my you know my three or f- three or four best offensive players. They have three or four plays that they all like. Yeah, and it and it works better. You know, like I think Morris and Murray have a little different game. But sometimes it's better that, like, the plays that we ran for Ty Lawson were totally different than the plays we ran for Andre Miller. Right, right. Completely different skill sets. You know, and so you you want your best players to know that you have not one, but two, three, maybe four actions that might, if they execute it well, will get a productive basket out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the defensive possession here because I'm always fascinated with double high screens. I don't know why. It just seems like a lot of teams – Dallas has had so much success with doing this. A lot of teams have just really made made it look easy when they do this. And I think, unfortunately, in this first example, Miami makes it look very easy against Denver here. You get, um, you know, two screeners. One, one of the – Duncan Robinson, maybe the best shooter in the NBA, certainly one of the best spot-up shooters. You got Kelly Olenek right. who – not the most athletic guy, but he can pick and pop too, and he's a very smart player. You get that screen. Kelly Olinick rolls really hard. Jokic shows up. Mason Plumley tags, and it's a wide open kick out that forces the hard closeout. Let's just go through this one first because when I watch this, <laughs> I feel like it's an impossible play to completely shut down. Um, but what what does a de- what is the right way for a defense to to guard here? Where are the breakdowns, and what is a defense trying to force them to do in this in this setup? Well, what you're trying to do right now is give up the open jump shot. I mean, if you're going to for me, yeah, I wanted. I think that's tragic. I yeah. want him to shoot a jump shot. Oh, off the dribble, even yeah. Yeah, I don't want I don't want my team to get in right now. Plumley. He's in hell. Right. If he if he overhelps, the three ball is going to come open. If he doesn't yep. help, the layup's coming open. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I, I actually think if Drogic, when he when on this switch here, you got to cover the shooter. I think a lot the, the big guy rolls to the paint, and that's that creates a problem. And and Miami is very good at skipping the ball. Yeah. And so to me. You know, I, that, that's, there's too much openness there. Yeah. Everything is kind of – Denver right in that was – everybody was kind of in no man's land. You know, you have Drogic versus, uh, versus a big. You got Plumlee over helping. Can't get out to the shooter. Wide open look. Um, and, and the double high pick and roll, there, there's a lot of motions now coming out of it. 
Yeah. You know, there's pick and repick. Yeah. There's double away. There's curl and pop. Yeah. There's flare screens out of it. Yeah. There's a lot of things that good offensive teams can do in this situation. Yeah. Let's watch another example here because they run it in the same game. They run it on the other side and they get just, I mean, it seems to me just slightly different result. Again, same, same cast of characters, but now Jimmy Butler is, is running the point here. So you can put Denver three bigs basically in this action, which I think is, is always tough. Olenek on this one rolls really early. And I think, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Just a little bit of a different role here. Before the screen even becomes, he gets he, <coughs> he escapes, and it's the exact same thing. You create a wide open shot. They miss this one. Is there any difference to this, or is this kind of the exact same thing? You want to, you would prefer Jimmy Butler sort of, you know, force him into a tough floater or something here rather than overextend yourself rotating. I think attacking the big here was a great play. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we need more attacks to the rim because that's where guys make mistakes. Mm. I mean, Jimmy Butler, um, you know, you have Daniels have to, has to help the helper. And what you get is the defense is totally in recovery. They're helping. They're not helping well. And now the pass creates a, just a wide-open look because they help too much. Yeah. Help too much in the paint. Yeah. The last one here is Damian Lillard, and I, the reason I think it's so interesting is because Portland does such a good job of getting up the court on their screens. I mean, Damian Lillard's always running downhill. So this one happens, same thing. Nurkic releases early to create that, that wrinkle, but the screen is so high up the court here. Is there any difference in how, you know, I mean, Denver gives up the layup on this one in large part because of Jokic's foot speed here. He gets frozen on a great move by, by Lillard here, freeze move. Where's the breakdown on this one? Or where are multiple breakdowns? Where, where do you see the breakdown on this play? The breakdown is Lillard can shoot the ball from 35 feet. Especially in this and, game. And Jokic is reacting to, I got to get higher. Yeah. And, and Lillard has a, he, a little bit of a hezzy, yep. and he blows by it, and there's no rim protector. Yep. All the rim protectors that, you know, are out on the floor. Um, yeah. It's a tough position to be in. I think Jokic is much more comfortable in dropping, but yeah. because he's been making shots, Jokic might have been out of position or out of his comfort zone because Lillard's made two or three 35-footers. Right, right. Um, last play I have for you here, Coach, and it's this involves Jokic as well because he's he's interesting one. Sometimes he gets blown by on pick and roll defense, and it looks like that up above where you just go, "Oh my goodness, this guy couldn't guard a snail." And then sometimes he makes, I think, really incredible high high IQ reads or you know high highly uh, impressive reads. And I think both of these here are examples of, in my opinion, good ones. Tell me if I you know tell me what you're seeing here. The first one. You know, they run to the side, the side sort of uh, side action here and get Joe Ingles coming off. But Jokic attacks the ball really hard here and takes away what would have otherwise been an easy roll to the basket for, for Damian Lillard. Is this good defense? Is it bad offense? I mean, what, what are you seeing on this possession? I think Jokic makes a good read. You know, he sees that, that the ball coming off the pick and roll has a wide open look. He's getting. He knows he's got. To, he's got to do one or the other: pressure the ball, or get it all the way back. Yeah. His decision now was to get after the ball. Uh, that's not his normal defense. His normal defense is more back, 
And I thought last night in Utah game, the first half, their pick and roll defense sucked. It stunk. <laughs> that was a fact. They were giving up layup after layup after layup. Yeah. And I think Jokic made a good adjustment. In the second half, it was the exact opposite. He made not only is this a good play, but he made another five or ten really good plays to yeah. get back and make Gobert, Gobert miss a lot of easy shots. But yeah. big guys, big guys got to do a lot of work here. It's not a fun job, but helping and recovering and how, how they help is a, a lot about how you play defense. So I When they this, help, how they help. I wonder this because, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, you know, even Akeem Olajuwon, and now you've got Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. Bigs, it seems, they always get the label, oh, they don't always play hard. They're... They, they take their foot off the gas and then they put it on. Is there something to the fact that seven-foot guys asking to be recovered all the space, maybe it's asking too much to say, hey, four quarters, we need you stepping up on screens and recovering, or is, is that's hey, if you're a superstar, that's what you do? Well, um, I, think, I think big guys get what I call they get lost in no man's land. Mm. They get in that place where they're not doing anything. They're not covering the ball. And they're not covering the basket. And a lot of times you got to kind of fake, you know, you got to kind of go one way, but you're not, that's not where you're going. You're going the other way. You're playing a game with the ball. The ball has got a lot of advantage. If it's a good score or a good driver, you know, he can manipulate you. He can make you look bad. And my, our whole thing was give up jump shots and not give up layups. Right. Give give up contested two jump shots and not give up layups and don't give up the three ball. Well, that brings us to the last clip, which I think Jokic does a really good job of this. He, he's in the pick and roll and he drops on this one. It's Mike Conley. It's a little bit of a, this is an actual pick and roll, not a dribble handoff. I don't know if that matters. There's nobody on this back with this weak side here. So he's kind of on, on an island, a two on one island. But Jokic, I think is one of the best bigs in the NBA at doing this exact thing, which is stunting at the ball recovering back and getting his hand. He's got those quick hands and those long arms, and he just seems to always make these types of plays on ball. First of all, why did he drop on this instead of step up like he did on the last one? Is that a personal read? Is that a schematic thing? And then second of all, just what, what else do you see in this, this possession? Well, I, I think the possession, I think their normal defense, right now he's way back. Yeah, he's really dropped. And so he's in a zone position. Now, I think it's because Gorbea was getting a lot of easy baskets. And you're right. The one thing that I don't think Jokic gets a lot of credit for is he has good defensive hands. Yeah. And he has active hands on the ball. And, uh, I mean, this is a close game right now. They're up six. And this was a really good defensive play in a big-time situation. And I think Jokic doesn't get enough credit that he's gotten to be a he's gotten to be better defensively, but yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to be he's going to be tested a lot in the playoffs. <laughs> There's some teams that are going to really put him in situations like this over and over and over and over again, and and maybe it's James Harden and Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and and some other guys that I think are going to maybe present an even more difficult challenge than than as good as Rudy Gobert and, and Mike Conley are. There's guys that I think might even be a bigger challenge, but. Um, coach, this was a great conversation. I mean, I feel like I learned a lot. I, I really enjoyed talking to you about all these different subjects surrounding, you know, recent 
topical events around the Denver Nuggets, which I think Nuggets fans, this is what they, they crave, real analysis from someone that knows what they're talking about, not, not me. Uh, well, you know a lot about the game, and I think, you know, the, what's great about basketball, it's always, it's always changing, always evolving. I mean, today you got coaching staffs who are studying and, and preparing for the playoffs, both offensively and defensively. And uh, I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see where this all goes. And hopefully the, the game will continue to get a little bit better and the playoffs will turn out to be a special time for us. I really hope so. Um, we're going to be back again next week. We're going to be doing this basically once a week. We got two in these what we're calling seeding games, and then we got we're going to do two more episodes in the first round. And should the Nuggets advance, we're going to do it for the second round and third round, and then the championship round. Right, Coach? <laughs> All the way to the championship this year. It'll be a lot of fun. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things. That, I think the one thing about our world today is there's a lot of uncertainty in our socialization. There's no uncertainty, and our world our world's been shaking a little bit. But the NBA is the same way. I think it's a, I think the championship's up for grabs. I do too. I don't I don't think there's a lot of I don't think there's one guy right now that I would go to Vegas and bet on right now. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be yet to be determined. And that's a lot of fun. Well, uh, thank you so much, Coach, and thank you everybody who tuned in. Don't don't forget subscribe. Keeping it one thousand. It's going to be archived on there. It'll also be playing on the Truth and Basketball podcast, which you should also be subscribed to, as well as the DNBR Nuggets podcast. And I'm looking forward to these all week. I hope you guys are as well. We'll see you next week. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the Keeping It One Thousand podcast. If you're on your phone right now, open up the DraftKings Sportsbook app. The hits literally keep on coming from one MMA event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation, and UFC 252 is no different. With two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the octagon this weekend, there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users the opportunity to bet on $1 to win $252. Those are some great odds. Head to, head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including fighter props, round by round betting, which is like one of the most fun types of betting you can do, and so much more. Plus, with basketball playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering $10 in free bets to use on in-game action for every day of the first round of the playoffs. Plus, DraftKings, Sports, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700